On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our Great Mouse Detective listener polls, learn about Kazuo Ishiguro, and preview Never Let Me Go. Hello, welcome back to another episode of This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel week. We got lots to get into, so let's do it with our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. We have two new patrons this week. First up, at the $15 Academy Award-winning level, Harpo Rat. <laughs> Thank you, Harpo <laughs> Rat, for jumping on at the Academy Award-winning level. If you haven't, make sure you rec- give us that recommendation of what you would like us to cover so we can add that to the rotation, and we appreciate you supporting us. And then at the $5 hugo award-winning level we have robin's nest joined right after the last prequel episode so we just missed you on the last one but we're getting you on this one thank you robin's nest for supporting us at the five dollar level hope you enjoy that monthly bonus content we just released uh not too long ago our episode on enchanted for january and uh, we'll have our episode out for february in a couple weeks so look out for that hope you enjoy it and as always, we have our Academy Award-winning patrons, and they are Harpo Rat, Nathan B., Vic Hammer, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby says, oh right, the feedback, the feedback for TFIL, the feedback written specifically for TFIL, TFIL's feedback, that darn skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much for your continued support. Katie, let's see what the people had to say about the Great Mouse Detective. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On Patreon, we had seven votes for the movie and one for the book. Kelly Napier said, The book was just okay. And I've always really enjoyed this movie, so it gets my vote this time. The biggest thing I liked in the movie was how they kept Olivia with Basil and Dawson the whole time. The book kept referencing the fact that the case they were working on was about these missing kids, but it seemingly continued to wander from that being the true focus. Having Olivia come along for the journey helped remind us of what the catalyst of the story was, getting her dad back, instead of shifting to just be a story about how much Basil hates Radigan. Also, she's just adorable. I also love a callback, so the continued joke of him screwing up her last name just delighted me. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, and I agree, I didn't, we didn't mention it in the episode, but I did chuckle at the, the running joke mm. of him continuously saying her name incorrect. It is a fun gag. Yes. Our next comment was from Terror Bithia, who said, Choosing the movie... This is one of those movies I manage to rediscover every few years and enjoy it each time. A good kids movie, easy plotline, and well done style of joke where the kids laugh because it's silly and the adults laugh because they get it. The kind of joke that can take off all your blues. There you go. Nice reference. (laughs) Our next comment was from Nathan B., who said, I will go with the movie, but not with a lot of excitement. Okay. I was profoundly disappointed by the movie, which I have always remembered as one of my childhood favorites, but I didn't really enjoy it this time. There also is no Sherlockian reveal, which I feel like is the point and best part of most Holmes stories. 
The book is too much of a kid's story for me to really rate it very highly. That's an interesting point that I hadn't really thought of. There isn't yeah. like a big no, ha-ha. there's not an end scene where he explains, which is a how little yeah, which mystery. is definitely you know often part, if yeah. not always part of like the Sherlock thing where you're like ah, here's what really happened. Yeah, or here's yeah, and you're right. It doesn't. They just kind of figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then like go well, to it, the... and it's it, I mean arguably it's not really a mystery yeah it's just like it's, I gotta like, find it's not much of a mystery yeah it's just anyway. somebody got kidnapped yeah I guess maybe that, that may have been at least partially did you feel like the book had more of that like mystery-ish or no no not really okay so it definitely feels like it's it's kind of maybe toned down in a way for kids to kind of yeah like where it's a little more like A to B to C and a lot a little a little bit less you know mysterious and like intertwined right. and, and then, to be fair the book and arguably the movie are for pretty young kids that's what i'm yeah so, that's what yeah. i'm saying yeah is that they 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 didn't follow quite the typical sherlock holmes formula of like mm -hmm. you know how what is there's like a super involved mystery that requires some very clever like yeah deduction or ev evidence finding or something you know what i mean it is in the movie at least it is very much like a point a to point which you kind of touched on when you're like well they just kind of use the dog to find right. like like you kind of touched on it there's not really yeah. a lot of interesting detective work well, yeah, going on both the book and the movie start with this like quote-unquote mystery of like oh where did this person, this person go yeah. um but they figure that out pretty quickly yeah. in both the book and without and the really movie. like much of a twist or anything yeah. super interesting. and then it, the story kind of shifts into okay well how do we defeat the bad guy yeah that is true i will agree with that that is a very i think a very apt criticism um at least in terms of because i still th you know i i did say that like you know obviously like they're they're dumbing it down a little bit for for children but i think you can still do a stripped down twisty fun reveal for, sure. yeah. for a kid's story yeah. it doesn't have to be quite as straightforward of a plot mm -hmm. as this movie did for for something that is supposed to be like a yeah sherlock holmes story even if it is for little kids mm -hmm. i agree um our next comment was from steve from arizona who said the 80s was a fun and weird time for quote little worlds and i loved them all the Great Mouse Detective didn't resonate with me like The Rescuers or An American Tale, but I still continue to regard the 80s as my favorite Disney decade. Interesting. Well, there you go. I mean, you you, you like what you like. And yeah. I do, I, as we talked about in the episode, I am a fan of The Rescuers and American Tale from my memory. Um, obviously, we did The Rescuers on the show, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I believe, yes, this is our last Patreon comment, and this is from Shelby. Uh, the patron who requested The Great Mouse Detective. Mm -hmm. And Shelby said, This is one of my favorite Disney movies. I love everything from the scene where they escape the mouse trap through to the Big Ben sequence. The book was fine. I probably would have enjoyed the series if I read them as a kid. When we meet the terrible three in the book, they're described as more like apes than mice. I wonder if that gave the filmmakers the idea to make Radigan bigger or if they knew they wanted him to be a rat from the start. I will jump in and say, I I don't know. No, I don't think so, because I, I, I touched on it in the prequel, but I, I didn't go into detail. From what I remember from when I was looking at it is that Radigan was completely redesigned and initially he was way more scrawny. Mm hmm. And that they made him bigger. I don't know exactly why. I didn't see exactly why, but they said it was in relation to um, Basil Rathbone's performance that they changed his character design. Vincent Price. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Um, Vincent Price's performance that they changed his character mm -hmm. design 
I want to say Rathbone because Radigan, I think my yeah. brain is, yeah. Um, Vincent Price's performance, they changed his character design because of the performance is mm-hmm. what I read. Um, and so I don't, it's it's possible they heard his performance and then took inspiration from from the rat thing or I don't know. But, but again, it is, uh, originally in the film, his design was going to be much scrawnier, um, although not ape-like. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways, it's interesting. And 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 she's talking about Shelby here is talking about the the terrible three, which obviously this book doesn't really or this movie doesn't really correspond to necessarily because Radigan's no. not even in that book, and we don't know what Radigan's description was. Yeah, well, according to Wikipedia, he's right, a mouse sorry, you in did the look book series, up, yes. but I yeah we don't I didn't interact with him at all reading right. this book. Yeah, uh, Shelby went on to say. I liked the parallel of the Carpenter's family being threatened in the book and the Toymaker's daughter getting getting threatened in the movie. I love the suspense of the Big Ben set piece and that Radigan functionally becomes a werewolf at the end. He does. Other thoughts. Brian, you haven't seen season four of Sherlock. I have seen the first episode, I believe. I think I watched the first episode... And for whatever reason, just never finished it. Maybe I was like, nah, I'm good. I don't I don't remember <laughs> why. I think I watched the first episode of season four, but I know I did not mm-hmm. finish the series. So. Yeah. Yes, I watched the first three seasons. Um, Shelby went on to say there, it's inspiring to learn there's people out there <laughs> still acquainted with the concept of joy. Thank you for sharing. May we all find your level of peace. Someday. Maybe I just will never finish it now. I was like thinking, well, maybe I should try to give it, finish it and actually see, you know, what all the hubbub's about. But uh in terms of the mm. fact that nobody liked the fourth season, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll just never, I may always exist in my state of bliss, uh, having only watched the first three seasons. <laughs> um, I'm not a Sherlock Holmes expert by any means, but I'm familiar with the lore and I've read about half of the original canon, so I'll try to answer your questions. You've probably gotten this note a half dozen times already, but just in case, the elementary line reportedly wasn't in the original stories and is a thing that happened later in pop culture. I did not know that. We did get that note a couple times throughout these comments. Oh, did we? Um, And I I feel like I knew that somewhere in my brain that that was not in the original stories, but I that's the like one of those things I always forget about and then like rediscover that fun fact later. It is, it does make, it doesn't surprise me to hear that, but I. That is not a fact that when I read it, my brain went, oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I did not know that. But it doesn't surprise me because it's yeah, not, it would... it's not uncommon for those famous lines to not actually be right. in the thing. I mean, it's slightly different, but like famously, um, uh, Luke, I am your father is yeah. not the line in the movie yes. that everybody <laughs> quotes it as. A, but yeah. We people have terrible memories is the point, and yes. not that that nece- this might be something else. I, but well, it, I mean, it speaking, came from somewhere. I, yeah. I would be, I was assuming an adaptation at some point. Yeah. Um, I would be interested to know yeah. where it came from. Yeah. Um, the three title you were thinking of might be the Sherlock episode, the th- the sign of three, that which is, is what I was thinking. An of. adaptation of the sign of four. Okay. In my opinion, it's the last good episode of Sherlock we got, and the bright spot of the third season. If you ever do Sherlock Holmes adaptations for March Madness, I hope the Sherlock episodes that are direct adaptations will get a chance to participate. We met, uh, when I read I read this comment before we did the episode, and I brought this up with Kitty. That's a really interesting idea. We had, yeah. we had talked about because we've mentioned before that we not, probably we don't have any immediate plans to do TV episodes or TV shows just because yeah. it's logistically logistically I'm not sure a little bit would. complicated for our format and stuff like that. 
Um, but this is an instance where it might actually work. Yeah. Because they are kind of standalone. Yeah. There's there's arcs overall, but like the individual adaptation of like a specific book and like the plot from it is kind of fairly standalone where we could just do like the one episode, mm-hmm. which I think would potentially work, uh, which I think is interesting. So that's something we'll we'll keep in mind when we one day eventually do a Sherlock Holmes, which I'm sure we will. So yeah maybe someday i don't know why we wouldn't i mean I, well, we're gonna get to it know, eventually i don't know i mean i know some of the sherlock episodes are direct adaptations. oh there's tons of movies are there tons of oh yeah, yeah yeah there's tons of old movies okay and then and then obviously the robert downey jr but ones. the robert downey jr one is at least the first one is not based on a specific story it's not a specific story but it may be pulled from things but yeah we'll have to do some research but i there's there are like there's old movies i watched as a kid um, like there's a Hound of Baskervilles movie. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a bunch of old movies that are direct adaptations of books that we could we could do like a okay like a, a March Madness thing or something. I think okay. yeah. Um, Shelby went on to say the mystery in this book could be taken from a Sherlock Holmes tale, but I didn't recognize it. Then again, there are four novellas and more than fifty short stories. Moriarty is infamous because he and Sherlock appear to fall to their deaths together. He was the author's means of killing off Sherlock Holmes because he was sick of him. When Arthur Conan Doyle wanted to return to the series, he revealed Sherlock wasn't dead after all. The climax of this movie and many other adaptations is a nod to that. Yes. uh, So I mentioned uh, on Patreon when I read this that I did know that uh, and I had forgotten because obviously famously in the BBC Sherlock, uh, the season two cliffhanger spoilers is uh, it's called (laughs) the falls of Reich or the Reichenbach fall. Yeah. Um, which is 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 that story is mm-hmm. uh, Moriarty and Sherlock seemingly plummet. Well, Moriarty doesn't plummet to his death; he shoots himself in the head. But uh, <laughs> spoilers, or does he? It's a it's a mystery. Who knows? <laughs> I actually don't remember. I mentioned that in the comic. I don't remember if Moriarty killing himself was fake, like was like a, a ploy, or if it actually happened. I truly don't remember. Yeah. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> But yes, I did recall as soon as I read that that yeah, that's what that the Sherlock jumping off the roof came from. Yeah, and I, uh, I was the, I was that was I was watching that live. That was one of those where I had watched that season finale like when it aired, and then uh, was there for the wait while everybody uh-huh. speculated. That was like my oh. peak Moffat fandom. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. <laughs> I was, I was everybody's not peak watching. I was not watching Sherlock. At that time, I actually have only seen a couple episodes of that because we watched like a handful of episodes together. We never finished it. But I remember when that hit Tumblr and it was all anybody could talk about. Yes, yes, absolutely. And there's millions. I read so many theories and blah, blah, blah. Um, so just I, this, this is a this is on Oxford reference. Uh, supposedly said by Sherlock Holmes to Dr. Watson, uh, although the remark in this form is not found in any of Conan Doyle's stories. Uh, the nearest thing to it, uh, the this is the elementary, my dear mm-hmm. Watson, is an exchange in the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes from nineteen or eighteen ninety four, where uh, I assume this is Sherlock says, "Excellent!" I cried. Elementary, he said. So that's the closest. Um, it said the misquotation, "Elementary, my dear Watson," is first recorded in P.J. Wodehouse's P. Smith in nineteen fifteen. Was the I don't know. This is a weird citation or something. P.J. Wodehouse's P. Smith? I don't know what that is, uh, but it wasn't. It was first recorded in 1915 by mm-hmm. somebody else. So, 
it is a interesting either a misquotation or a manufactured quotation yeah. or whatever. Hmm. Um, but yes, it is not actually from the series, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, over on Facebook, we had two votes for the movie and one for the book. Kevin said, I loved the film as a kid. It's definitely darker on a rewatch. Never read the books, but we'll be looking out for them to ease my kids into reading Sherlock Holmes. On a side note, Danger Mouse also lives on Baker Street. Strange that there's two mice characters based around there. If I had a nickel for every time there was a mouse that lived on Baker Street. I don't know what Danger Mouse is. Do you know what Danger I Mouse is? I did not, but I Googled it, and as soon as I did saw it, I was like, it? I recognize that, yeah. I don't think I've ever interacted with that media in any way, but I recognized it as soon as I saw it. Oh, it does look familiar, yeah. yeah. It says it's a British cartoon, I think. Yeah, interesting. Parody of British spy fiction, Danger hmm. Mouse. Yeah, it does. The character looks familiar, but I yeah. never don't think I've ever read it or seen or seen. It looks like it was a cartoon. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, I think it would be a good way to if, get your kids into Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, for sure. Our other comment on Facebook was from Ian, who said, Disney was my introduction to Holmes and murder mysteries in general between this and the Chippendale episode where they do Hound of Baskervilles. It was a springboard into Agatha Christie, Midsummer Murders, and all the British murder series we take such delight in. There is a Sherlock Holmes story called The Sign of Four, which mm-hmm. is what Brian might have been thinking about. It was. But the plot of that doesn't sound like it's what the Mouse okay. Detective book is dealing with. To sum up the plot very briefly, the disappearance of a young woman's father and a mysterious note years later about the strange regular annual delivery of valuable pearls to her puts Sherlock Holmes on the case. Well, that sounds closer so, to the movie, almost to some extent. A young girl's father disappears. True. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not what happens in the book. In the or wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. the book, it's uh, the kids, the kids go, missing, go missing. So it is yeah. not. That's, and the book is the one that has the title related to. So yeah, it doesn't really connect. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Looking at the film now, I would say that Radigan isn't a straight take from off from Moriarty. James is a well-to-do maths professor at Trinity College, Cambridge. The money he gets from crime is to fund his scientific research. Radigan wants to climb the social structure. He hates being reminded where he comes from. He's probably not a real professor, but has people call him that because that elevates his social standing in his eyes. Mm. Um, and mostly the reason that I said that Radigan was a Moriarty. Right. I mean, I, I think he kind he of is. He definitely is in the sense that he, that's what he's, he's the character like he's his, closest yeah. to, but it's not that like he's a the direct central nemesis. Yes. Um, also, when I was trying to look up stuff about the series, it specifically said that that character yeah. in the books was Moriarty. And chances are the character is very different Probably in the books different from in the books. what we see yes. in the movie. Yes, but it, that doesn't mean that every single detail about him, obviously, is, is right. exactly the same. Yeah. But yeah. Also, did you pick up that in Radigan's song when his henchmen sing Worse Than the Widows and Orphans You Drowned? I did not. I I noticed that. <laughs> this guy is definitely the worst villain in Disney if he goes out of his way to do that. Clearly Disney went all out with this film. The villain sings about murdering women and children, sure. Sexy mouse cabaret, why, why not? not? What have we got to lose? Speaking of Miss Kitty Mouse... She has clearly unlocked many an inner furry in people, and mouse thighs for days definitely needs to be on a shirt. I do wonder if the books ever go to Downing Street, because since 1515 there has been a chief mouser, a cat to make sure there are no rodents in Downing Street. Mm. 
Currently, the cute Magen is Larry, but I wonder how that works in the world Eve Titus created. I mean, I would imagine it would be a villain. I I mean, I would would think so. Or either that or they would like go and expect the cat to be a villain and then the cat would actually be their ally. Yeah. Uh, By the way, ACAP includes Larry the Chief Mouser. (laughs) (laughs) The film is utterly charming, great voice acting, and an amazing finale. It really is jaw-dropping when Basil wakes up and looks around Big Ben. I love it. My missus loves it. Votes go to the movie. Bearing in mind, I didn't realize it was a book. There you go. Fair enough. Thank you, Ian. Uh, We didn't have any comments on Twitter this time, but we did have six votes for the movie, one for the book, and one listener who couldn't decide. And then over on Instagram, we had three votes for the movie and one for the book. And we had a comment from True Grimlock, Mm. who said, Hope I'm not too late. I love this film. I went to see it at the cinema when I was six, and I'll put it on as a background film when the kids are playing. I'm also a massive Sherlock Holmes fan, and Basil (laughs) is the only non-canon I'll accept. I'll have to vote for the film as I don't know the books, but I intend to get them. Oh, that's nice. Appreciate it. Thanks for your vote and your comment, True Grimlock. Uh, over on Threads, no comments over there either, but we did have one vote for the movie, none for the book. And on Goodreads, we had yes. one vote for the movie, zero for the book, and we had a comment from Miko, our ever-faithful Goodreads commenter. And Miko said, This was my first time seeing the movie, but I read its comic book adaptation countless times as a kid, to the point the plot is seared into my brain. Watching the movie was therefore slightly weird as I knew everything beforehand. So when he's, I wonder if when he says comic book, if he means actual, if there's a comic or if there's a, or if he means well, the book. probably like a, no, I think he's probably referring to like a movie tie-in. Okay. That's what I was wondering. I didn't know. I would yeah. assume. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. Probably like a Disney publication. Of yeah. That sort. seems like it very possibly could um, be a thing. I, remember I just wasn't aware of it. We had like a picture book. Mika went on to say, unlike Basil of Baker Street, the movie constantly takes advantage of the fact that the characters are mice. Having the characters be animals feels like something kids' books just do without any real reason or effect to the story. kids like animals. <laughs> That's the reason, well, I think. <laughs> there's also, like, publication reasons for that. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. Um, like legal reasons, probably, or other things, yeah. Uh, the book is just straight up Sherlock Holmes for kids to the point I'm wondering why you shouldn't just read real Sherlock stories. I remember my first English book was a Sherlock Holmes story that came with an audio version so you could listen along and I enjoyed it greatly even as a kid. I understand the book is for young readers but even then I'd expect the crime to make some sense. What was the kidnapper's plan? If they get the apartment and return the twins, what's preventing the mice police from just raiding the place? Aren't hideouts, by definition, supposed to be secret? These are all great questions. <laughs> I'm really picking apart the, the world of Basil of <laughs> Baker Street. Yeah. Um, maybe the sequels make more sense. The movie was light fun. Biggest surprise was Radigan's voice, not at all what I was expecting based on the comic. This is just nostalgia talking, but I knew immediately I'd give it to the movie purely based on the memories of the comic adaptation. And reading the book only confirmed that. My vote goes to the movie. 
During the episode, Brian was most likely grasping to remember the name The Sign of Three. Glad everybody else remembers that. (laughs) An episode from the BBC series, a play on the Sherlock story, The Sign of Four. Yes. This also happens to be the story where Bloodhound Toby appears. Also, the line, Elementary, My Dear Watson, does mm-hmm. not come from Arthur Conan Doyle's stories, and is just something that has been rolled into the mythos over the years. Appreciate the fact check all around, Miko. <laughs> now, also, obviously, I could not include it in this episode, because we're not a visual medium, but Miko also included in their comment a picture of um, a, uh, oh no, what was the bat's name? Oh, uh... Uh, uh, fidget. Fidget, yes. A fidget plush. It exists. Yes. Amazing. Uh, fidget plush. It was fairly cute. Ah, I, knew I it. was not a huge fan of the way that the eyes were done. Okay. <laughs> but it was fairly cute. Um, so if you want to see the fidget plush, uh, go on over to our Goodreads. And if you go to our review of um, Basil of Baker Street, it'll it's in Miko's comment. Interesting. I was trying to Google it because I did not see that, <laughs> and I just wanted to see what it looked like. But it uh, fidget. Pl- oh, there it is. Oh, it's very. I think his eyes are cute. It's cute. Look at him. He's smiling. It, it is. It's fairly cute. It's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> you have to if you're googling it. You have to Google great mouse detective fidget plush toy. If you just Google fidget plush toy, you get oh, you random. get like just fidget toys yeah, yeah just like random yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Toys, so anyways all right did you do the final poll sorry i was no okay well, um, what was our final breakdown the winner was the movie with 20 votes to the books four plus Crushed. our one listener who couldn't decide um also nobody who voted for the book came out to defend it oh all right fair enough yeah that's true we didn't get any comments no. that were like i picked the book yeah look if you're gonna pick the book we appreciate it if you defend it. You don't have to, obviously. <laughs> we just pref- we we like to hear the reason, especially in such well, a way. Yes, implied... especially in you know something where there's kind of an obvious winner, um, that where like more people are going to have heard of it or yeah. seen it or whatever. Um, you know, it's just interesting. Just let to us hear. know your yeah. thoughts. Yeah. We're we're interested to hear. Yes. All right. We do have a learning thing segment this week, and we're learning about Kazuo Ishiguro. No matter what anybody tells you. Words and ideas can change the world. Sir Kazuo Ishiguro is a British author, screenwriter, and musician. Um, Ishiguro was born in Nagasaki, Japan, and moved to Great Britain in 1960 with his parents when he was five years old. A family settled in Surrey, that I hope I'm saying correctly. It's got to be. Just... Because I feel like the British places always get me. Uh, Surrey, I believe, is just Surrey. That's okay. one of the easier ones, I think. Um, it's got to be. I, I don't know if there's anything about this. It's got to be, which I guess he was five, so he didn't have a lot of time to really form memories. It's got to be really wild to grow up in Nagasaki, like in the de- decade after yeah. World War II. Like, yeah. that's got to be a, a very strange you know what i mean like right. just i don't even i can't i'd be interested to read if he's read like talked about that or read again he was he moved when he was five so i'm sure he didn't have like a lot of memories yeah. from that but anyways um so they settled in surrey um where he attended primary school uh, eventually he started learning guitar and writing songs uh, he initially wanted to become a professional huh. songwriter um then after finishing school he took a gap year and traveled through the u.s and canada um, 
writing and sending demo tapes to record companies. Interesting. I, that's fascinating that he wanted to be a musician. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did. He did end up writing some music like later on down the line. Uh, I um, think. I think in this book. Yeah. Is there? I don't know if you had a note about that, but I don't have a note about it. Okay, I don't really but either. But that, is... I believe that because I, I one of the notes I saw in the movie notes was that there's a song in yeah. the book that is also in the movie that yes. came from the book. Correct. So, okay. Yes. Um, and in in 1974, after his gap year, he began at uh, University of Kent at Canterbury. Uh, graduated in 78 with a Bachelor of Arts in English and Philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, then he spent a year writing fiction and then resumed his studies at the University of East Anglia, where he studied with Malcolm Bradbury and Angela Carter um, in the UEA creative writing course, eventually earning his Master's of Arts in 1980. Mm -hmm. um, Ishiguro set his first two novels, uh, A Pale View of Hills and An Artist of the Floating World in Japan. Um, so those first two were set in Japan. Mm -hmm. However, in several interviews, he has said that he really has very little familiarity with Japanese writing and that his works bear little resemblance to Japanese fiction. Uh, for example, in a 1990 interview, he stated, quote, if I wrote under a pseudonym and got somebody else to pose for my jacket photographs, I'm sure nobody would think of saying this guy reminds me of that Japanese writer. Uh, now that you mention it, because I I thought I was like, did we do a learning things segment on this guy on on Kazuo before um, when we did Remains of the Day? Yeah. And I and I was like, I, and you were like, no, we didn't. I was like, okay. And now I'm remembering that we didn't because I was wondering this during the episode. I remember yeah. being like, it's int very fascinating to me that this Japanese born writer uh is writing a story about like british like yes. uh yeah. butlers and like and we did talk about yeah that we talked about that, that he primarily he, yeah. he primarily considers himself yes british yeah because i i mean he's lived there since he was yeah, five no absolutely you yeah. know i would too yeah he doesn't really remember <laughs> yeah. japan like at all yeah it's just, yeah and so it's it's not I, my point being that it's nice that we're getting some yeah. background here um but i think that's kind of something that's like followed him around for yeah. his entire life of people being like oh, yeah. oh well, you're a japanese writer right. and he's like not really. Not really. Yeah. Uh, following those first two novels, he explored other genres, um, including science fiction and historical fiction. Uh, his novels are generally written in first-person perspective. Um, Ishiguro is one of the most critically acclaimed and praised contemporary fiction mm -hmm. authors writing in English today. Uh, four of his novels have been nominated for the Booker Prize, um, one of which, The Remains of the Day, which we covered, uh, won in 1989. He was also awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2017. Yep. Maybe uh, the first Nobel Prize? Only Nobel Prize? Or Nobel Laureate we covered on the show? Like, Ooh, yeah, maybe. maybe uh, we haven't done... I was trying to think if there's... Maybe some of the older sci-fi authors. Yeah. There might be like a... Have we done a Bradbury? Did he want a Nobel? Probably not. I don't think he did. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anybody we've done who's won a Nobel. I don't know. Because we don't... I, we don't often cover stuff that's like very literary. No, not super. Because it doesn't tend to get made into movies. And when it does, nobody cares yeah. usually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It's interesting. I just wonder. I was just a... I have to think about it. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, he was also appointed Knight Bachelor for Services to Literature in the 2018 Birthday Honors. Is that where he yeah, got his sir from? Yeah, that's why he's a sir, okay. yeah. 
I don't know what yeah, any well, of I'm that means. I'm not sure means. what the difference between Night <laughs> Bachelor yeah. and just mean he's but not married. But I really, I really <laughs> like that he got knighted for services to literature. I could get on board with that. Uh, he is married, so that's okay, not so what that not, means. Not, yeah. not what that means. Uh, knight bachelors are is the basic rank granted to a man who has been knighted by the monarch but not inducted as a member of one of the organized orders of chivalry and it is a part of the British honor systems. Knight bachelors are the most ancient sort of British knight. The rank existed during the 13th century reign of King Henry III. Hmm. But they rank below below knights of chivalric orders. So, there you go. All right, Brits. However, whatever the... <laughs> made up fairy tale rules <laughs> they got going on over there <laughs> you know not that we don't have our own fairy tales oh absolutely <laughs> and, and not that i don't ours enjoy a fairy ours are just all about money also not that i don't enjoy a fairy tale i got i'm jealous that we don't have a weird archaic system of <laughs> whatever <laughs> my last note here uh, when he was awarded the nobel prize the swedish academy described ishiguro as a writer Quote, who in novels of great emotional force has uncovered the abyss beneath our illusory sense of connection with the world. Wow. So we'll be on the lookout for that. Whoever from the Swedish Academy was <laughs> vying for their own Nobel Prize with that, with that, uh, with that They were like, I can do better. <laughs> but no, uh, from my memories of, of Remains of the Day, that, 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 that description is apt. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely... Um, he he definitely raises a lot of questions to do with identity and connection and that sort of thing. So for sure, I can I can yeah. and purpose and whatnot. And, so yeah. uh, based on what I have learned about this one, I think we'll be raising even more of those questions. Can't wait. Well, let's get more into that as we learn a little bit more about his work. Never let me go. My name is Kathy H. I'm 28 years old. I now spend most of my time not looking forwards but looking back. And what happened to us at Hailsham? Catch it, Tommy! Why didn't Tommy get the ball? There was once a boy who had ran off beyond the boundary. They found him in the woods, with his hands and feet cut off. Who told you these stories? Everybody knows them. And how do you know they're true? You'd make up stories as horrible as that. Students of Hailsham are special. Yes, Keeping yourselves well, Keeping yourselves healthy inside is of paramount importance. None of you will do anything except live the life that has already been set out for you. And sometime around your third donation, your short life will be complete. That's what you're created to do. Never Let Me Go is a 2005 science fiction novel by uh, the aforediscussed British author Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, Ishiguro said that he began writing the novel in the 1990s without having a clear idea of what exactly he wanted to do with it. And then in 2001, he was listening to a radio broadcast about biotechnology and decided to direct the novel to deal with, quote, the sadness of the human condition. Um, he also wanted to deal with we um, get it you're an author yes. um, <laughs> quote some of the oldest questions in literature what does it mean to be human what is the soul what is the purpose for which we've been created and should we try to fulfill it you know just basic basic Simple literature stuff, stuff. Simple stuff. 
Uh, also, you already answered that question. Your purpose is to buttle. We, it's, <laughs> it's everybody's purpose. Find your own thing to buttle and buttle it. Uh, the that's, the, that's the verb of buttlering. Right? <laughs> I, Being actually, a I think it is. Buttle? Buttle. Gotta be. Uh, the novel was shortlisted for the 2005 Booker Prize, for the 2006 Arthur C. Clarke Award, and for the 2005 National Book Critics Circle Award. Time Magazine named it the best novel of 2005 and included it in its 100 best English language novels published since 1923. It also received an ALA Alex Award in 2006. And in 2019, the novel ranked fourth on The Guardian's list of the 100 best wow. books of the 21st century. That's wild. Yeah. I've never even heard of this, and it's... Not, not that that means anything. I've I've not heard of a lot of books. I'm just it's just fascinating <laughs> that that it's like that high on a lot of lists yeah. of like greatest novels of you know modern time. A couple review poll quotes that I thought were interesting. Um, Theo Tate, writing for the Telegraph, wrote, "Quote: Gradually, it dawns on the reader that Never Let Me Go is a parable about mortality." The horribly indoctrinated voices of the Hailsham students who tell each other pathetic little stories to ward off the grisly truth about the future. Hmm. Uh, Sarah Kerr in the New York Times characterized the novel's setup as potentially dime store novel and an enormous gamble, but elaborates that, quote, the theme lets Ishiguro push to the limit ideas he's nurtured in earlier fiction about memory and the human self. The school's hothouse seclusion makes it an ideal lab for his fascination with cliques, loyalty, and friendship. Hmm. Um, some couple things there that were also themes in yes. Remains of the Day. Yes, for sure. Um, and horror author Ramsey Campbell, I thought this was really interesting, called it one of the best horror novels huh. since 2000, um, saying, quote, it was a classic instance of a story that's horrifying precisely because mm. the narrator doesn't think it is. Okay. Interesting. And aside from the film that we will be discussing, the novel has also been adapted as a stage production in Japan in 2014 and as a Japanese television drama in 2016. I'm not 100% sure if the television adaptation was more an adaptation of the stage version. Or the book. Or the book. Yeah. I could not figure that out. Uh, the novel was also optioned as a TV series by FX, but that project was canceled in early 2023. All right. Well, let's learn a little bit more about the adaptation that did happen in 2010's Never Let Me Go. We were moved from Hailsham at 18. Tommy, Ruth, and I. Exactly how much experience have you guys had with the outside? Quite a lot. We haven't. Drinks? Five Cokes, please. If there was a boy and a girl, and they were properly in love and they could prove it, then they would be given a few years together before they began their donations. Why do you do that thing, squeezing Tommy's shoulder? I'm allowed to touch Tommy, aren't I? That's the way you're touching him. Suppose for a second that there is a special arrangement for Helsham students if they're in love. Although Tommy really likes you as a friend, he just doesn't see you that way. We are modeled on trash. We're in love, and it's true love. It's verifiable. We didn't have to look into your souls. We had to see if you had souls at all. 
Never Let Me Go is a 2010 film directed by Mark Romanek, who directed One Hour Photo and Static, uh, which he is a... Is One Hour Photo that the one, Williams, the Robin yes. Williams ones where he plays a villain? That yes. movie's so creepy. I have not actually seen it, but yes, it is that one. Uh, and a film called Static, which he has supposedly disowned, according oh. to IMDb. They used the word disowned. I don't. It was huh. like very early in his career. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. Uh, but so he's made those movies and then this, but he is most known as a music video director. And boy, has he directed a buttload of famous music videos, uh, probably most notably uh, Michael and Janet Jackson's scream music video, Johnny Cash's hurt cover mm. closer uh, and the perfect drug by nine inch nails. Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz, Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, 99 Problems by Jay-Z, Speed of Sound by Coldplay, Sandcastles by Beyonce, and tons more. This dude is an incredibly prolific uh, music video director. The film was written by Alex Garland, uh, known oh, for- I didn't even know yeah, that. I, yeah, I didn't either until I was doing my research, and I was like, <laughs> oh, another one, uh, who's known for Ex Machina, Annihilation, Men, 28 Days Later, Dread, one of my favorite movies, Sunshine, and the upcoming Civil War, which the discourse on has already driven me insane. So uh, <laughs> can't wait for that. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Civil War discourse. I have not discourse. seen anything about it. Oh, no. film Twitter is a is, buzz. Is well, not anymore. Film, it was a very brief. Is the film about the Civil War? It's, like, we don't know yet. So oh. the trailer, I will say this. The trailer looked not great in my okay. opinion, but I am willing to give Alex. He's writing and directing uh-huh. it. I'm willing to give Alex Gar. He has earned the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion, with Ex Machina. Every I have not seen Men, but Annihilation, Ex Machina, uh, those he direct wrote and directed those two. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually, I can't remember if he directed Annihilation. I think he did. Uh, Twenty Eight Days Later is great. Dread's good. Sunshine's incredible. I, which most some of those he just wrote and didn't direct. But, um, anyways, this upcoming movie seems to be about a future civil war in America that oh. seems like it's playing on a lot of like modern day like politics. Events, yeah. But the big thing that sparked a lot of discourse is they that it's it's an A twenty four film, which I think like all of his modern stuff is. Um, but they released like a a map of the United States because it that is like like they released like a this is the the map of the civil like the, uh-huh. the confederations or whatever and people like were all up in arms that it like doesn't make any sense oh okay and it's like <laughs> but that's not the it doesn't it's anyways i i have thoughts about it it's irrelevant for all of this um i will say that i thought the trailer looked eh, like not amazing mm-hmm. but again um, I'm I'm willing to give Alex Garland a chance on anything at this point <laughs> and wait until I see the movie before I'm like, this is going to be terrible, because who knows? Uh, he has not made a bad movie yet, in my opinion, but I did not see Men. I've heard mixed reviews. Yeah, I've heard mixed, mixed reviews. things about, that, about so, Men. The film stars Carrie Mulligan, Kira Knightley, Andrew Garfield, Sally Hawkins, Charlotte Rampling, uh, Natalie Richard, Domhnall Gleeson, and Andrea Riseborough. So just an incredible cast. Yeah. Um, Across the board, pretty much. It has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 69% on Metacritic, and a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So uh, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb right in line with each other, although their their system works differently, but <laughs> same score <laughs> if you don't think about it. The film made $9.9 billion, <laughs> $9.9 against a budget of $15 million. Uh, which makes sense to me because I'd literally never heard of this movie, <laughs> and it came out, uh, you know, in the peak of when I was going to the movie theater, probably. 
So, uh, getting into some background information, apparently Alex Garland is a longtime friend of Kazuo Ishiguro, and actually that sought makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, and he actually sought to secure the rights to Never Let Me Go before he had even finished reading the advanced copy that he had. Uh, and he was also apparently a sounding board for ideas on the novel because Garland has experience working in sci-fi when when Ishiguro was working on this, and he mm-hmm. didn't. He's not like a sci-fi author or anything, so he apparently bounced ideas off Garland for some of the like sci-fi elements of the book, essentially. Garland would actually go on to write a script for the film uh, before the book was even published in 2005. Uh, and Ishiguro liked Garland's treatment a lot and supposedly very little changed from that first draft to the final version of the film. Interesting. Uh, at one point, director Mark Romanek uh, was a was a in the early stages of this was attached to direct Benicio del Toro's Wolfman movie. He eventually was dropped from that production for supposedly unknown reasons. I couldn't find him, uh, but he then immediately signed on to direct Never Let Me Go, saying, "Quote: From the moment I finished reading the novel, it became my dream to film it. Ishiguro's conception is so daring, so eerie and beautiful, and Alex Garland's adaptation is sensitive and precise." Uh, Carrie Mulligan had read the book long before joining the cast for the film, and he actually considers it one of her favorite novels. She actually assumed that an adaptation of the film would be filmed before she was old enough to play the role of Katie, but she desperately or Kathy, but she desperately wanted to play the role of Kathy, but she assumed that she wouldn't mm-hmm. get a chance to. So this appear this next part I feel like feels apocryphal to me, but it it was sourced. Supposedly, Fox Searchlight's studio head Peter Rice. Uh, during the early stages of casting and pre-production on the film, and they were figuring out who to put in, who to cast in uh, Never Let You Go, or Never Let Me Go, um, was apparently watching uh, Carrie Mulligan's film In Education at the Sundance Film Festival and supposedly texted uh, director Romanek four words, hire the genius Mulligan. And that is all they, <laughs> and when asked later, they were like, or in an interview or something, like, why, why was your text so brief? He's like, well, I was still watching the movie. That's <laughs> what he said. So he's like, I was in the middle of the movie. So Andrew Garfield, uh, after he was cast in role, described his casting as quote, a dream come true, uh, getting to explore the character of Tommy, uh, saying of the character quote, there's a sense of anxiety that runs through these kids, especially Tommy, because he's so sensory and feeling and animalistic. That's my perspective of him, end quote. It's just, who, sure. I don't, I don't know anything <laughs> about this character. So, uh, on the other hand, uh, as opposed to Andrew Garfield said it was a dream to be cast, uh, Carrie Mulligan had been dying to play this role, apparently, in one of her favorite books. Uh, Kira Knightley said that she initially only agreed to do the film because Carrie Mulligan, who was her dear friend, asked her to be in it, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was funny. Uh, which they were together in, uh, they started together in um, Pride and Prejudice. So. Right? Yeah, she is. She plays Kitty Bennett. Mm. Another fun fact that I thought was interesting. Uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, at some point in the film, Carrie Mulligan needed to drive for her role. Uh, but at the time of filming, she did not know how to drive, nor did she have a license. Mm. So she took a two-week driving course, but ultimately failed her driving test. So they had to <laughs> film it on a private street so that they could close it off and allow her to drive. Even okay. Most people have... fail the first time. Yeah. I, I, is it most? I don't know. Some. I feel like a lot of Some people, people fail, fail it the first time. time. Yeah, I don't actually know. It's interesting. I don't know what the percentage of people who fail the first time is. Uh, so the score for the film was composed by Rachel Portman. Fun fact about Rachel Portman. She is the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Original Score for the film Emma. Um, and I think she did shock a lot. 
Could be. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I actually I didn't look at her other stuff. I just saw the thing about Emma and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, she did shock a lot. There you go. All right, getting into some reviews for the film, which were mixed, mostly mostly fairly positive, but mixed, and we'll, we'll get into them. Uh, writing for the Daily Telegraph, David Gritton uh, applauded the film, saying that the the performances and the production were great, um, specifically of the supporting cast. Uh, Saul Austerlitz for the Boston Globe thought the film struck a mournful note uh, and thought that certain images in the film, such as the tree in the empty field, quote, possess a haunting power directly lifted from the best of Romanex video work, while it also respected the themes of uh, Ishiguro's novel. Hollywood reporter critic Jay Fernandez said that Never Let Me Go was an engaging film, but that it was overall that its overall impact was not as emotionally devastating as the book. Mm, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> Writing for the National Post, Chris Knight said that the film was able to capture the wistfulness and unpredictable tone of the novel, but added, quote, it spills the beans much sooner, end quote, which to me sounds like maybe there's like a twist yeah. or a reveal or something that kind of, anyway... For NPR, Mark Jenkins uh, said, quote, it's a remarkably successful adaptation, but acknowledged that Romanek and Garland, quote, do make a few missteps, which were mostly a result of the limitations imposed by turning the novel's contents into a film, end quote, which that's the whole point of our podcast, so Mm, it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see. Uh, For Reuters, Stephen Farber called the film a disappointment. Oh, because, quote, although it was expertly crafted or acted, impeccably photographed and intelligent, intelligently written and even inter- intermittently touching, it is, quote, too parched and ponderous to connect with a large audience. He said the film should have laid out more completely the logic of its parallel universe, such as the cloning process and the thought that the f- and thought that the film had, quote, a theme of the dangers of medical experimentation, which he thought was a tired theme, basically. Hmm. Uh, writing for the Huffington Post, Marshall Fine said that like the novel, the film is difficult to embrace. He said that the film does work on a suspense level due to Romanex, quote, creating a quiet, leisurely pace that could not be out of place in a yoga class, end quote, which is a weird, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> uh, he all went on to say, quote, he no doubt was aiming for an eerie children of the damned vibe, except that it's the children who are damned, end quote. Uh, he concluded his review uh, saying, quote, it's a staid, lifeless tale that never talks about what it's about, or at least not enough to provoke deep thoughts on the subject, end mm. quote, which again, we shall be the judge of that. Mm. And finally, writing for, uh, oh, there's no Ebert for this, this is after Ebert had passed away. So uh, writing for USA Today, Scott Bowles gave the film another negative review saying, quote, Never was a movie so bleak and empty and that it did not, quote, embrace the book's unrelentingly dark tones, uh, but rather wallowed in them. Uh, and he's saying that the not even the cast performance, particularly Garfield's, were enough to redeem the film. So in his opinion, just too Dang. bleak. Call out Andrew Garfield specifically there, I guess. No, that's not a call out. He's saying... Oh, he's saying he's saying good. Garfield's okay. performance was good. It just that. wasn't enough to yeah okay. to redeem the film. Yeah, he was saying he liked Garfield's performance. Yeah, yeah, those just, are all interesting. Um, yeah, I thought there were comments. a lot of interesting reviews. Yeah, where not, none of them were like completely negative, but just a lot of like kind of. Eh. Well, it sounds like this is going to be a really good one for our specific format, since so many of the reviews were like 
comparing it, it yeah, to the book. Yeah, comparing it to the book and like and, it didn't really do the same thing yeah. as the book. And also I'm fascinated because it's it's one of those things where it seems like it's a lot of people like whether or not I, it to me the reading these reviews got me very excited for the film because it feels like a movie that either works for you or does not mm-hmm. in terms like thematically that like for some people I think it might just click whereas other people it's just like they don't yeah. aren't into it or whatever yeah. and I'm interested to see which side which side of that yeah. equation we fall on but it did make me very excited reading this kind of mixed um reviews that yeah like you said a lot of them kind of hinge on whether or not it's successful adapting the book or if it captures the same kind of tone and themes and all that sort of stuff which i i'm very interested to see yeah and that is extra interesting to me because i feel like even when we've covered stuff that is like very famously based on books the reviews often don't mention, mention it that. sometimes they do but sometimes yeah. they do this but it's one like not every like, single review yeah it's yeah. not like a super common thing that we see yeah what well, i mean it makes sense supposedly what according to your notes if it was like ranked among the top you know uh, that's <laughs> 10 true books yeah. of the 21st century or whatever well, i guess that to be fair that's not as much i didn't re- i just realized <laughs> it was 21st century and not 20th century which that's a little sure, like yeah. that's a, you in, know, in a lot less of a <laughs> I mean, it was also on Times 100 Best Books since 1923, which is a much larger larger sample size. Yeah, sample size. Anyways, before we wrap up, we wanted to remind you, you can head over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads to go follow us, or or, uh, Threads, or, you know, wherever you can find us. Follow us there, interact. We'd love to hear you so we can get your feedback like we did on this episode. You can also head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to our show. Drop us a little five-star rating and to write us a nice review. Or head over to patreon.com slash this film let support us there and get access to some fun bonus stuff. If you're a $15 patron, you get access to priority recommendations. And this episode was a priority recommendation from Steve from Arizona. There you go. Thank you, Steve from Arizona. Uh, mixing a little. Of course, I should have known with the sci-fi twist. Even, <laughs> even when the author's yeah. not a sci-fi author, <laughs> finds a way to get a sci-fi twist in there. So, Katie, where can people watch? Never let me go. As always, you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one. Um, barring that, you can stream this with a subscription to Stars and Direct TV. Okay. Um, or you can rent it for around four bucks from Apple TV. YouTube, Voodoo, Direct TV, or Amazon. There you go. Um, and we also got a comment, I think, on Twitter from Shelby about watching. Said she was watching it on Disney Plus. Oh. Which I didn't. I didn't check on our Disney Plus account, but Disney Plus did not come up when I like Googled where to watch this. Okay. But um, give it a look, maybe if you yeah, have. Yeah, give Disney it a Plus. look. That also it could be like a Canada thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Anyways. Give it a look. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be there. But yeah, just go find it and watch it. Uh, we already talked about how we're excited, so we don't even yeah. go into that again. But yeah, come back in one week's time. We're talking about Never Let Me Go. Until that time, guys, gals, and my pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.